0: Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up, and he went completely out of his mind. This is Dried Up Brain, and I'm Nate.
1: And I'm Andrea.
0: This is a podcast where we read things, and then we talk about them. Uh, And what we read for this episode is uh, Volume 5 of The Wicked and the Divine. Did we read the other previous four volumes? Yes. Go listen to the earlier episodes of the podcast. Or just listen to this one. I don't know. Maybe you're particularly interested in this particular volume for some reason.
1: If not, we'll see you in like 10 hours where you finally get caught up on the first four volumes.
0: Yeah. Most of this issue is written by Karen Gillen, drawn by Jamie McCalvey, colored by Matthew Wilson, and lettered by Clayton Cowles. The exception to this is the first issue, which is a pretty novel... Uh, take on a comic book issue which we could talk about
1: so just to be clear this is the wicked and divine volume five it's called imperial phase part one it was published in 2017 and i think it's issues 23 to 27
0: yeah i think so uh and quick recap i guess on the previous volume uh there was a big fight Anarchy died. She almost sacrificed Minerva for some un, to some machine for some unclear end that presumably had something to do with conquering the great darkness. Uh, we found, also found out that she was the one who killed Anana, and uh, Laura came back as Persephone, yeah, and killed Anarchy,
1: yeah, or so Anarchy
0: the, or whatever we're supposed to say. So
1: this is the post Anarchy fallout, yeah. But the first issue is a comic book that is a magazine, that is a fan magazine called the Pantheon Monthly.
0: Yeah, did you read the back matter, like the behind the scenes stuff in this volume? I did not. Okay, so the way that this worked is all of the writers who are credited in this are real writers who did actually write these pieces. The way it worked was they were assigned a god, or maybe they got to pick them, I don't remember and then they got in a text chat with karen gillen and he role-played the god they were interviewing and then they wrote up the piece and submitted it so all the credits in this are 100 percent accurate and uh i think it's works really well because each of these pieces has a really distinctive voice that sounds different from the other ones and different from the voice that the comic is normally written in
1: I also think it's interesting, just like a magazine, each of the articles is accompanied by a photo shoot, which is drawings of the different gods in fashion kind of style. Yeah,
0: they're for, they're staged like a magazine photo shoot with the same sort of like posing and wardrobe that you would imagine from like a, a high sort of fashion magazine. All of those are illustrations that are done by an artist named Kevin Wada. Who that's kind of like his thing is draw is sort of this intersection of high fashion imagery and pop culture. I remember he really sort of rose to prominence back in the day when an RSS reader was a thing. He did a bunch of uh, illustrations of the X Men in sort of like a high high fashion outfits, and those got passed around in the blogosphere. And we're kind of a big deal.
1: Pre-Tumblr?
0: I don't or know pre-Tumblr, but probably dur- during Tumblr, before the fall of Tumblr.
1: It's also interesting that there's um, advertisements that feature the gods. There's mm-hmm. Ball like selling some kind of perfume. And there's one where Persephone is selling some kind of Pantheon-themed cell phone. Yeah,
0: which then gets used later mm-hmm. in the... Uh... <laughs> she's like endorsed some sort of phone and that gets used later in the volume uh we see it so it's like you know doing a little bit of world building on top of everything else
1: and also my favorite part of the magazine which at first i was kind of like oh this is so much text and i want to read a comic book
0: there's a lot of text
1: but i like how there's a comic strip where the gods are kind of like little chibis yeah <laughs> so i think that's kind of funny
0: Yeah, which feels like something that would happen in a magazine. And so then in this, Karen Gillan is presented as the editor of this magazine with the artist working on the design team. But so what we get in this issue is an interview with the Morrigan, one with Ball, one with Woden, a posthumously published interview with Lucifer. Uh, And I like the detail that that was held up due to legal issues because she talks about uh her affair with anana in it and this was before anana's relationship with ball was made public
1: i don't i mean i can understand why that's sort of a controversial thing but i mean half of this volume deals with like sort of these polyamorous yeah. god relationships that are happening post Anake.
0: yeah uh and then we get an interview with amaterasu and then a piece about, basically just recapping what the public knows about the uh, the events of the end of the previous volume. And then credits and a little comic strip.
1: Yeah. So, How did you feel about that concept of a... Well, I feel like they've done some... I know I asked you and then I immediately start talking <laughs> about how I feel about it. But I feel like they, that this series has sort of diverted like part of their like storyline to these sort of made up constructs like we saw in the earlier volume where they had the
0: the convention map the
1: convention map and things like that so this doesn't seem that really weird out of like how they would do things no
0: it would be much weirder if this was like a random issue of superman or something uh no i think this is cool and i dig it i don't know like i mean it's so much text i don't know if this was like the most like fun reading experience but i appreciate it because so much of this comic is about celebrity, it's about like the media, it's about like the influence that these people have and literally showing us like other mediums that they are interacting with. I think is valuable. Like he can't go probably and like shoot a movie with an actor playing ball playing like another character in a movie, but like you can use the medium of comics to make, like, a fake magazine or a fake blog post or whatever and show us, like, the uh, how far their influence is reaching. And I think that that adds a lot to, like, sort of up the stakes of the comic and ground these characters in reality, which I think is important because things get super crazy as stuff goes along. Like, spoiler alert for the rest of this volume, but, like, fucking monsters show up. Yeah. And I think, like, this, seeing, like, normal people, like, fucking writers and editors and stuff, interacting with them. And uh, my favorite one in this, unsurprisingly, is the Woden interview.
1: Yeah, I like that, too. And that has
0: a lot of the writer's reaction to to meeting Woden in it. And really gives us some insight to how someone who's not... Like, really, we've only really gotten Laura's perspective on what it's like for a normal person to interact with the gods and she was already like a super fan and then she literally becomes one and so this i think this was useful to to help us sort of understand what the like, the public conception of these characters is because and they're so concerned with that public conception that i think it's really important for us to understand that
1: yeah i thought that was an interesting article
0: i just like any sort of experimentation with comics i think that's important like it can get so rigid and formalized I'm okay with anybody sort of playing with the medium and playing around with the fourth wall and stuff like that. I think that's important.
1: I like in one of the Morgan's fashion shoots, she's posed with a pair of knitting needles. As a knitter, I always like to see...
0: But one of the... It's like a... Wait, which one does she pose with knitting needles? When
1: she's... Those have masks on them, though. Well, I think she's creating the mask. I think that's... Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, she creates... Her persona, because she has so many different personas, I think.
0: Yeah, I think all the illustrations are really cool, just in general. Like, I like Kevin Waddle's art a lot. I think it works really well here. And it does a good job of, like, if we're supposed to take the McKelvey art as being, like, this is us actually seeing the world, like, as it exists, like, we're a camera floating through the space of the events happening. And then it makes sense for, like, when it's something that is more deliberately staged, that is trying to feel unreal, like a magazine shoe, to have a different artist with a different style work on it.
1: What did you think of those fashion, Ball?
0: Uh, I really like all of... There's like a spread where Ball has like a bunch of different outfits on. I think those are all pretty great. Uh, I like the first one where he's wearing... He's got no shirt but like a feather boa with chains on it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's definitely like...
0: I feel like this like this... Uh, presentation of him is going less for like the kanye thing or like the uh super athlete thing and is more sort of aligning him to and this makes sense for the time period someone like donald glover
1: yeah and i think it's i mean especially like how you see him depicted here and how you see him depicted when the actual new story arc starts you see two really different types of, of ball.
0: I think he's. this is sort of like, this volume is kind of like the, he kind of becomes the main character of the story in this volume.
1: I think, So well, I think it's
0: good that we have this big interview with him in the beginning.
1: I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll get to each individual volume, but I think it's pretty clear. Because, I mean, the first half of the series made you think that Lara slash Persephone was the was the main character and i think as this moves forward you start to see that ball and minerva who especially minerva who played a very small role in the first in the beginning of the series now comes into sort of prominence as a as a fully fleshed out character yeah she
0: gets way more focused than she has before and when we talked about the before they were the two character the two major characters that haven't gotten like a pov issue yet and now this, this sort of volume focuses more on them than other ones have.
1: But I think that makes sense because the question is, what was Anaki's beef with Minerva? Why was she trying to put her in that machine? And what does that machine become? What is the importance of that machine? It's never really clarified. So this sort of, this volume has the sort of double work Of being the start of a new storyline and then also pushing the questions forward from the previous story arc.
0: Yeah, so for this magazine issue, I think we can just sort of run down like quickly the sort of things that we learn and the vibe we're getting from each interview. So the first one is with the Morrigan, and that's by Lee Alexander. And it's mostly what I got out of this interview is... She's being more public and more open, and she's more directly threatening. There's lots of her talking about like her power in this. It's called uh, killing cities in a night, and that's a thing she literally says, like, I could kill a city in a night. Like She's sort of like being very conspicuous with how powerful she is.
1: I think she also wants it to be known that she did not appreciate being fucked with by um. being put in that cage and... And I think she's also at a point where she's either, I don't know if she's threatened by Persephone's relationship with Baphomet, or if she's just at the point where she's just disgusted with Baphomet. I can't really tell. Well, we'll
0: see. There's something, <laughs> we'll talk about that at the end of this volume.
1: I mean, in one of the pictures, she's wearing like a bodysuit and right in the middle of her chest is his logo. Uh,
0: yeah. And... The, so then, the ball interview is mostly like, "Hey, so you're like, um, you're like Cyclops, right? Huh? You're a lot <laughs> like Cyclops, basically." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm basically the Cyclops now." And it's like he's sort of stepping up; he's taking a more leadership type of role. In, now that Aniki is dead, he's wrestling with like responsibility, and we're seeing like a more like thoughtful ball than we've gotten before is like i guess the vibe we're supposed to get from this interview i does a lot to make me like him more
1: i kind of like list like categorize him as like dad ball
0: yeah this is yes <laughs> this is, well literally he is he's we learn He's like if minerva's
1: the, like substitute father at this point i
0: don't know if it's in this interview or if it's in the there's a little like um dram, dramatis persona thing in the beginning at some point in why we learn that he is actually minerva's legal guardian at this point now that her parents yeah. are dead uh, and then, who, wait, I didn't give the credit. Who did, wrote this interview? Uh, Dorian Linsky wrote the Ball interview. And then my favorite one, the Woden interview, is called Sympathy for the Nice Guy. It's by Laurie Penny. Uh, and uh, he's a prick. I mean, that's basically just a lot of, like, he's a bad dude. Um, he's not very apologetic about being a bad guy. We learn that he doesn't talk to his parents, but they're not dead and he goes on a lot about how he can't you know he the point of the valkyries is that he can th- have them they can do the thing the gods do like the performance thing and the closest he can get to doing it is by creating things that other people can use to do it we kind of already knew that but that's dealt with very specifically in this uh we've learned that he's a big game of thrones fan and then he's kind of bummed that he's gonna die before it finishes, yeah. but. We do live in a post Game of Thrones world, and uh,
1: yeah, you're fine.
0: <laughs> you're good. but He's you're better a good off one.
1: not knowing. I think at this point, right?
0: Yeah, uh, he doesn't sleep. He works a lot. He built the machine piece by piece. The one that, so what he says at least, is that he built a machine that Aniki was going to use to sacrifice Minerva piece by piece. So he doesn't actually know what it is or what it does.
1: Well, I think that's true because as we know they were trying to figure it out in the last volume and they still continue to try to figure it out
0: uh and there's a the there's a couple pictures i think they're all really good there's one where he's like doing the praying hands and he's wearing like a red velvet shawl collar jacket yeah uh there's one of them flanked by the valkyries and he's wearing a like a tiger print coat and he's got like a he's got like the biggie like crown at an angle thing going on and then there's one where he's in like a matching uh pink pants and shirt with blue roses printed on them and bright pink shoes real good i like all of those uh and a lot of that interview is is about like how much the writer is does not like Woden and is made uncomfortable by being in his presence uh, the Lucifer one, I got the least out of, honestly. I, kind of I think it's mostly just there to remind you, like, hey, remember that Lucifer was important?
1: It's one of those things where Lucifer, for some reason, has become extremely popular. Yeah. Out of the context of the, of the series, without really doing too much. I mean, I don't know. If she comes back at some point, I can't really say, but I think at this point, her story arc is done.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, a lot of this is just, like, Lucifer was secretly sad. Which, like, okay, I get that. That makes sense. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, her last line is, like, the writer says, uh...
1: But also I think it's interesting because she reveals in the article, as she's being interviewed, that another um, god is born, and she's there to witness it. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't remember which god it was.
0: Uh, let me see.
1: Yeah, it says a stunning flame-tressed girl complete with Coachella costuming and face paint. Oh, that's Amaterasu. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think she also talks about knowing Anana before they became gods and stuff like that. I mean, I think this interview is mostly there to be like, hey, remember that people fucking died in this story and they were real people who had real emotions. So the stakes are real.
1: Yeah, I think it sets up, too, that there's a sort of pantheon fan culture and also a concurrent, like, party scene that revolves around, which they hit pretty hard in the actual later issues, that there's, like, this party scene with the fans and the gods.
0: Yeah. And the Amaterasu issue, I mean, it's called Cloud Bursting, so it's like a Kate Bush reference. Uh, but if this is mo- interview i feel like is mostly about how uh the tension between the impressiveness of her presence and the reality of her being right like the tension between like she is this representation of the sun that is as awe-inspiring as the sun but it's she's also just a 17 year old girl who doesn't really know what she's talking about i
1: also feel like it's kind of a fluff piece because it doesn't hold her accountable for her Cultural appropriation, which is what Cassandra calls her out for.
0: Yeah. And I think the big thing that this does is it sets up she gets asked about or at least mentions uh running away when Minerva's parents were killed. And she is trying to excuse herself in this issue in this uh interview. And that comes up later as a point of conflict later in the volume.
1: Yeah, and I think it's kind of portraying her as sort of like teen pop star, almost?
0: Yeah, that's uh, definitely the vibe.
1: And then I like the sort of... the hard-hitting news report that's Death in Valhalla, where it uses, like, screen capture of, like, security footage to sort of reveal what happened to Anaki.
0: Yeah, and we know here, definitively, the public does not know that Persephone executed her. Oh, I was gonna say, the other thing we learned in the Amaterasu article is it seems like my prediction that maybe her dad or her like dad was actually her stepdad and he was Japanese is not true Um, but they do talk about like her being affected by her father's death and that they like went to Japan together and that's where like this connection to Japanese stuff starts which I guess is important for some of the fucked up shit she does later in this volume
1: I guess that's true and then they have the little cartoon called No Life Left and it has a My favorite thing is the third panel which shows them like partying and like Dionysus is DJ at the mobile disco and Minerva has like a little party hat on and they're all dancing around and even Cassandra is wearing a party hat and she's actually smiling.
0: Yeah Uh, and we get the credits for everybody in the issue and and a big ad for the Eleusinia a phone worth dying for which is this like iPhone with a skull on it that Persephone has endorsed. What did you think about the magazine? How did you feel? I
1: thought it? it was interesting. I liked I mean, I thought it was an, Like you said, it's a novelty.
0: Yeah.
1: But I don't know, like, maybe... Oh, well, I guess I can understand why it had to be the first issue because it was the sort of bridge between the end of the story arc and the start it's of the story. It's almost like
0: a compressed version of Volume 3. You know how, like, we had the... Big moment at the end of volume two, where we think that Laura is dead, and then volume three was like one issue for each for the different gods and was like all taking space in between that big moment and the next big moment. This just feels like almost like a compressed version of that, where it's like the big things happen, so let's take a breather and we'll spend a little time with a couple of the gods one on one, but through interviews in a single issue rather than issues in a larger volume.
1: It's kind of like the interlude. Issue, except you don't get any Shakespeare.
0: No, no Shakespeare. There is a... a, a I mean, a Morgan holds a skull in one, of her, That's one true. of her pictures.
1: Also, I wanted to quickly note that the cover style has changed dramatically at this point. It's no longer the full page face. It's kind of like a full body, and then there's a rectangle, which is almost like a painting.
0: I think this is the third cover style we got. Because I think that they... St- Starting in Volume 3, they changed it too. Those weren't just the heads anymore.
1: But I think it's interesting because, like, I'm looking at the one that's Persephone, and you get a full view of Persephone, and then the rectangle is sort of the vines that she manifests when she is um, using her powers, which they call the miracles. So I think it kind of gives you a little bit of insight about each of the gods that's portrayed. The first one is Baal. Yeah. But it's kind of like a rebranding of the series, a rebooting of the story arc. You're, like, really getting the hint that, like, this is now the post-Anarchy pantheon. And you get to see what's going to happen. And exactly what you think is going to happen, there's, like, a lot of chaos and...
0: Yeah. So, yeah, there's... It opens with, like, a New Year's party. There's a moment where Persephone is alone. Uh... And she's smoking, and Amaterasu comes up and is like, Hey, do you want to kiss? And Persephone's like, I thought you were boring. And she's like, I'm not, I guess I'm not that, I don't want to be boring tonight. Which is, like, I think, the first indication uh, that there's something off with Amaterasu now. And her eyes are like black and red. Yeah. Uh, and then she sleeps with Sakmet and gets told off. This is Persephone. Sleeps with Sackman and gets told off by Minerva, uh, who's like, "Yeah, Ball is still hung up on Anana, and everything he's sort of doing is like mostly about him trying to do what he thinks Anana would want him to do." And she tries to advise Persephone to basically do the same thing and to be like nice and be kind to be a good person. And she gets mad about this little girl judging her.
1: But you know what, Persephone is not a nice person. No. I don't know if she was. Excuse me. I even question if she was portrayed as a nice person in the beginning because she always seemed sort of like an ambitious. But now she's definitely she like she was
0: trying to help people in the beginning, right? She seemed like a better friend early on than she is now. She was trying to help Lucifer, and it went poorly. She was trying to help Inanna and it went poorly. She was there for Cassandra post ascension after she got over her jealousy. But the thing is, like the refrain we get over and over again is Persephone is in hell, right? Like, I don't... She's dead. She didn't survive. Like, we're, we're like, oh, it turns out she didn't die. I mean, I think she's essentially dead.
1: I think she's, if she isn't physically dead, she's, like, emotionally and mentally dead because she really... She is really morally ambiguous. She's really, like, yeah. an aggressive predator.
0: I think this volume really... Like I was saying, like it shifts the focus. Like, she is revealed to be a much worse person than I think the book was... Maybe not for, like, she's a, she's, the book really doubles down on exposing her character flaws, and I think a lot of the focus shifts over to the other gods, and in particular, Ball and Minerva.
1: I do like Minerva's, like, Gen Z makeover. I think it's very...
0: Yeah, she's got, like, a dyed fringe, as they would say in the UK, and she's wearing, like, Digimon goggles. And then she leaves and she has like followers waiting outside who are wearing like skull shirts and they have like the big red triangle that she has painted on her face and the one dude's like uh we read that your followers weren't allowed to say your name like what do you want us to call you and she says the destroyer and rides off on her Akira motorcycle
1: she's always riding off on something causing chaos destroying her
0: is the vehicle. destroyer
1: yes but she's like Hurting herself, like like she's destroying things that have no, like they're only painful to her. Yeah, like she's not destroying the patriarchy and she's not destroying like inequality, but she's like destroying her motorcycle and her leather pants, like that. Like, yeah, and then she's having all these toxic relationships with people that she's, you know, like the other gods. I mean, she has a re- like she has a physical relationship with every single god in the pantheon except for Woden who she well, despises
0: and, and Cassa- Cassandra Minerva who's a child and Dionysus who I guess is asexual is what we're, we learn in this volume
1: yeah because there's is that is this the volume where there's a conversation I like this
0: he has like two conversations with Cassandra where he's trying to figure out if she's as- or like they're talking about whether or not she's asexual
1: but I think we decided we talked about this that she is a transgender
0: yeah she's a yet- trans woman Yes. Um, which is brought up directly in this. She has an argument with Woden about where he brings it up. Um, but that doesn't have anything to do with her sexuality. That's just her gender expression.
1: Yes. We haven't
0: seen her. I mean, she is like the only character we haven't seen besides the child. Like,
1: I kind of got the vibe that she was having a relationship with Beth, her assistant.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought that we were going to learn. But I think that maybe is not the case. <laughs> But, so, but then that makes sense, right? Like we go back to like she can't feel anything with the with the gods stuff like it makes sense if she's like asexual and aromantic, and she's like if that's what that uh, the actual metaphor there for her trying to figure out whether or not why she couldn't feel anything was actually her struggling with trying to figure out what her sexuality is that makes sense to me uh but so uh Persephone ends up I don't know why I refer to her as Persephone, but then Cassandra by her human name but she shows up at Valhalla where Cassandra is trying to puzzle out what the machine is and she is not the, the the sacrifice machine she can't figure it out she has no clue she found one part of it that's like this white Well, honestly it looks like a dildo yeah so it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, this white like... cylinder with red lights on it that goes beep she but she doesn't know what any of it does and she's getting really frustrated
1: this whole volume is just 75 different manifestations of sex and sexual representation.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so she she doesn't know what the beeping thing does. Uh, she doesn't know what anything else does. Um, Worden shows up, and they have a conversation. Uh, we find out, which we knew, but we find out that they know now that he was the one who set up us the bomb at the... Uh, Persephone's gig in the beginning of the previous volume.
1: Well, who would be the god who could make a bomb?
0: But see, that's the thing. That's what makes... that, that I had forgotten about the bomb thing until like Cassandra literally pulls the bomb out of her cloak. Um, and Cassandra's shows to, the,
1: the detective. That, well, detective you, kinda, Cassandra. She kind of has always
0: been that, the detective. Um, and she's like, hey, you, you tried to blow up a bunch of dudes in a bar. And... I had forgotten about that, and that sequence complicates Persephone's character because she goes out of her way to save all the people in the bar, and she brings that up that they would have died if she hadn't saved them. So I think there's there is like a some sort of internal conflict going on in there. I mean, I think like that's part of why she has like the affair with Baphomet. It's a similar thing. Like we see in his backstory issue, like his parents die and he retreats into this like shell and puts up this facade of like tough guy. ...nihilistic punk. And I think she's kind of doing this... The question is, is she doing the same thing... ...or is she really just empty inside? Uh, and we don't know. Yeah. But the that that sequence where she saves the guy that's in the bar... ...leads me to believe that maybe it is more of a show... ...than it seems like. But so... ...they get into a fight about that... ...and about him lying and working with Anarchy. And he reveals that... He, ...Woden reveals that he has like a dead man switch... On some incriminating video evidence specifically of Persephone assassin or executing Anaki and then them all agreeing to cover it up.
1: Could- yeah, I like how they like talk about this thing like practice like this is the kind of question you always have when you like come across a story where they're like I got a dead man switch. And if I don't check in in, like, 24 hours, then this goes out to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then, because i just kind of like, well, what if you get, like, hung over? Well, yeah, that's
0: also her role is to be the person who's like, wait, but hold on. <laughs> <laughs> like, to cut through the, like, superhero posturing of everything, which I really like. There, there was a lot of, I say this every time she gets focused, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of, like, oh, no, it's me with her in this volume. Um, but, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, she's like, what if What if you fall asleep or whatever? And he's like, uh, like, I won't. That's <laughs> why, like, it's important. that I, If there was no danger, like, I wouldn't, like, do it every time. And then Persephone calls him on his bluff and takes him to hell.
1: But I guess he sends them a snippet of the footage, the security footage of her killing Anaki. And then you can see that they're all there. And... They all agree to kind of act like she just exploded.
0: Yeah. Also, if the footage looks like. Um, do you remember his POV issue where it was like use, repurposing all the art from the previous issues? Mm-hmm. Like it's got that video filter effect on it, which is like a cool little consistent piece of um, visual design. Uh, but yeah, so they eventually like agree, like okay, we'll shake on it and we're going to work together. And Persephone, she really like reminds me of like. When I was like trying to refresh my memory about what happened in the previous volume, I was sort of like saying to myself like what happened and I was like, Yeah, it's like the classic D and D thing where they're having the conversation about whether or not to spare someone and Persephone does the classic D and D thing of turning to the DM and going, I kill him <laughs> and like she really feels like that character. Like when you're in the group and she's playing the character that's like, I'm chaotic evil or I'm chaotic good or whatever and they're pushing everybody's buttons and boundaries and you all agree on something and then they just fly off the an- handle and do it on their own. So, like, there's this sequence where she's going to shake Woden's hand and then she just smiles with the skull in her eyes and drags him to hell. And <laughs> Cassandra's left there, like... It's three panels of her shaking her fist and then, like, screaming up in the air, fuck her, fucking fuckers fucking up all the fucking fucks.
1: <laughs> well, she's gotta be. I mean, they're, they... Have- at this point, the entire pantheon is acting like a bunch of children.
0: Yeah, well, at some—I forget when it is. Uh, I think Minerva or somebody says that, like, basically Cassandra and Ball are the mom and dad of the pantheon now. Although she presents it as like Ball is the dad, but Ball is definitely the mom. Uh, yeah, but they—that uh, she takes him to the underground, calls him a coward, and there's a lot in this where they talk about how. He is essentially a coward. That his motivation is, I don't want to die.
1: Well, this is all part of issue 25. Yeah. It transitions to a second. Yeah, well, issue, it, 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 it cavers, like immediately
0: yeah. like the second after the end of the previous issue. The cover for issue 25 is Minerva. Right. Uh, and her, it's a cool cover.
1: Her rainbow makeover. And she's
0: got like these like things, these like... Mm. Like
1: on her jacket that
0: they like, they look like the owl wings right they're like coming off of her they look they remind me of the stuff that like in like a Gundam like that would f- the free-floating stuff that would fly around the Gundam when he gets extra powerful
1: yeah and I think she definitely has that sort of modern style about her
0: yeah so they're in the underworld there's tendrils dragging woden he's she calls him an abuser
1: I think she also takes out, like, her man anger that she has at Baphomet. Because she pretty much does the same thing to Baphomet, like, two issues before that. Mm-hmm. But she calls him out for being, like, you know, a jerk. He,
0: so, like, there's this one two-page spread where he's falling through the abyss, and there's this cool, like, light trail effect on his armor, or on his suit. And he's like, I'm not like you. I couldn't fight her. You saw. He's talking about Aniki." He saw what she did to anyone he tried and then she says you're an abuser and he goes abusers can be abused too i was scared i've been in a bad place and then she says i'm in hell join me and he keeps falling and then she he like lands and he's like shaking in the fetal position and she comes up to him and says this is how it's going to be but we don't see specifically what she says to him
1: But we see what he does immediately afterwards.
0: So he shows back up and he's giving up the Valkyries. They're going to go solo. He's going to support them, but he's not in charge of them anymore. He apologizes and says that he exists solely to help you now. Uh, And Cassandra's like, I don't want your help. And he's like, but you need it. He Um, could have
1: been helping her the whole time because he did. Even though he doesn't know what the machine does, he created that machine.
0: Yeah. I I think he probably knows more than he's saying. Yeah, he, he does this thing where he points out that like Cassandra and him are the only ones that are clever and practical. Ball is cl- practical, Minerva is clever, but they're both which I think is a pretty solid read on their characters. And they talk a little bit more about how he how Persephone was able to affect her with a performance and she projected a performance, like, basically through a hologram, and it still affected her. And they bring up the Lucifer thing and then she's really evasive about it. And then Cassandra in another sort of like Uh, satisfying bit of her not dealing with artificial narrative bullshit like calls her out for being enigmatic she still doesn't get an answer it doesn't make her open up but i did like that little moment where it's like so many times you read stories and you're mad at the characters are not talking to each other and i like when a character can be like hey it's fucking bullshit that we're not talking to each other
1: I think this is the most dialogue that happens in one of these issues. Yeah, in a this while. Is
0: a, they have a very well. They have a conversation that basically spans two issues. They talk about how Ball is still really serious about the Great Darkness, but none of the rest of them know anything about it or if it's real. Loden brings up the thing we talked about in the previous volume, where he's like, "Is this like real or a metaphor?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know if I guess it's clearer in the later issues where the. Darkness has something to do with the type of God?
0: It's something. Oh well, The other thing is, as Woden goes to leave at the end of this conversation, and he's like, yeah, I can't call off my blackmail plot. Like, I knew I would fold because he knows he's a coward. So he set it up so that he couldn't undo it. Which means, like, it's definitely going to pop off at some point in the next couple volumes. So that's exciting.
1: Yeah, and then it cuts to, like... A scene of ball and and Laura watching TV with Minerva, having some family time. Well, before she's a little contrary as like a teen tends to
0: be. Before that, at the end of the issue twenty five or the previous issue, we had a text conversation between Laura and Cassandra, and Cassandra's like, "How many people are you gonna let? Are you willing to like let die or kill yourself? Uh, Because that's gonna escalate things. And what kind of person would do that?" And Persephone looks sad and then responds with no person. Which feeds back into this idea that, like, she is essentially, or at least believes herself to be, like, dead. Like a dead person who's, like, doesn't have, like, emotional attachments and, like, a soul or something.
1: I think Cassandra likes persephone when she's laura and not when she's persephone yeah
0: well we know that they are like they have that moment together after cassandra becomes urger but they've been pretty far from that for a while yeah yeah so then you're saying the next issue they're like hanging out they're watching um, minerva wants to the ball wants to turn off the news which has like Aniki. it's like her interview with cassandra right from right before she uh became urger and then uh, Minerva's like, no, I want to watch this. Like, being angry helps. And then he uses lightning to make toast.
1: Right, because that's what dads do. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, is that a British thing? Like, in the middle of the night, you're watching the news and be like, you want a snack? And your snack is toast?
0: They fucking love toast <laughs> in the UK, though. So, like, I don't necessarily think that that's not the case.
1: <laughs> so, anyway, they're all like a happy family. Dad, mom, gender role switched.
0: Yeah. Uh, Nervous,
1: having like a little hissy fit, and Her parents
0: were (laughs) murdered. The owl is there. But we know that... The owl's still around.
1: Do we know now, or do we figure it out that that, they're not actually her parents? They were not actually her parents. What? Weren't they like, just people paid to watch her? No. No? Okay. I might have been wrong.
0: I don't think that's revealed. If that is, I totally missed it. No, as far as I know, they're her parents but then also on the news is Amaterasu is like trying to excuse herself somebody asked her if Anaki was right and she's like oh I don't know like we were selfish and then she says like she puffs up the importance of what she's doing with like her performances and stuff and she says that she's saving lives and we get the first inkling that Minerva is pretty fucking mad at her for peacing out when her parents got exploded which is understandable and then the fucking darkness breaks through the windows and grabs Minerva
1: Right, and then Ball has to save her, her and Persephone. I mean, Persephone. But here's something about the darkness. They show like this half-page panel of the darkness, and it's sort of like an outline. Doesn't it look like the same shape as like Woden's like, sexy Valkyrie yeah. attack? I was thinking
0: about that. It does sort of. I mean, it looks like a skeleton made out of the Photoshop spray paint tool <laughs> um, with blue lights coming out of it. But I don't know if those blue lights are supposed to be coming out of the darkness or... They're there because it's got Minerva, like, inside of it.
1: So we can't figure out at this point if the darkness is attacking them because they're the Pantheon or if it's specifically targeting Minerva.
0: Yeah, like, I don't know. Maybe because Minerva was going to get sacrificed? Maybe Anaki was, like, giving the darkness what it wanted
1: or something? I wonder if Minerva has some kind of connection to the darkness and that's why Anaki was trying to put her in that
0: machine. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. But uh, the
1: darkness at this point is very nebulous, and it, it's just a creature that is attacking them at this point. And then Ball starts fighting it.
0: Yeah, and he tells Persephone to get Amaterasu, who does, but then instead of taking, and then she grabs Persephone, and instead of going to join the fight with Ball, they go to Ball's mom's house, which is also being assaulted by the darkness.
1: Yeah, so that's why you, it's kind of like, are they attacking the gods and the people who the gods care about? I don't know. So then, there's something interesting but if, here. before you get into oh. that, you you get to see Anaki's wristlet.
0: Yeah, she has the thing that Woden made her.
1: And she specifically says, I gotta put this thing on so it's gonna take me a little bit longer to get there.
0: Okay. They start to fight the darkness. The big thing that's notable here is Amaterasu's eye beams, which... Fucking rad. Uh, heard it. Persephone's tendrils make it bigger.
1: Right. Well, that's now, what I was saying. Does it depend on... I
0: don't play- think so. Well, here's my theory. All the gods' powers feed them. Amaterasu's y- y- channeling her powers through a thing Woden made. And my theory about Ball is that he is too. That he, his lightning powers actually come from the necklace and are not uh, natural to him.
1: So only the natural miracle... Yeah, the elements of the gods so it has something to do with them
0: i think they think it's to do with persephone specifically and later on they say that it, oh it's like the sky gods have to be the ones that fight the darkness or whatever i think all the gods powers when they're not being modified will end up feeding the darkness and that all the people we see actually hurting it are people whose powers have been modified in some way by something that woden has made for them but so, we'll see I don't have any further indication of that. And my theory about ball could be totally off base. But we do specifically, when he goes to make the toast, he's wearing the necklace. When he goes to fight the darkness, he's wearing the necklace. I don't think we've ever seen him use his powers without the necklace.
1: But they all could have enhancement objects. Like Baphomet has that big belt buckle. And the Morgan. She has those tattoos. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, so there's the the fight with fucking the darkness at Ball's mom's house. And it's not defeated until Ball shows up and uses his lightning uh, to do a cool lightning punch on it.
1: But also at this point... Amiratsu is kind of like she goes right into like X-Men battle mode and starts
0: shooting lasers out of her uh. eyes,
1: right? But then per- Persephone has like a crisis of like confidence in the middle of this battle. Well, when
0: she goes to use her powers, on, well, she's a- active and meaning like she pulls, uh, if all has like two siblings and his mom are there, she pulls them out of the way of the darkness, but then when she f- goes to fight it, it just makes it bigger.
1: But I mean, she's all like, "I'm going to send you to Hell, Woden," and then she's like, "I don't know if I can fight these monsters."
0: Well, she but <laughs> she's only like that after trying to fight it makes it stronger. I uh, don't know. I
1: feel like if she thinks that she can be a disruptor, then she wants she leans all into it. But if she feels like even the slightest like she can't be the you know the best at what it is, she just completely like backs off from it.
0: Yeah. Um. So I mean
1: Amaratu has to tell her to stop the baddies.
0: Yeah. I don't it's not brought up directly, but Ball's dad is not there and he goes and he picks up a picture that has him in it. I think that, that like and he so like we know that what something's up. What happened to Ball's dad.
1: Now did he die before this?
0: I think he got killed by the darkness.
1: <laughs> or by like,
0: Anarchy to make the threat of the darkness seem real.
1: But that happened previously.
0: Yeah, I think previous Because he's not okay. there when they show up. In the but meeting. this
1: is the first time they physically see the manifestation of the darkness. Because they were kind of like, oh, Anakin, her like, fear well, of the yeah, darkness.
0: Well, yeah, it's like I said. Odin doesn't even know if it's a metaphor or not until just now. Uh, and so they have a big roundtable meeting about it. Um,
1: this is part that kind of got to me like about her. Like, how she was so cowardly at the fight, and now she's like a mega, like, a super aggressive,
0: like... No, she's not. She says. She makes the coward's decision, and this is—that's like the whole point of this sequence—is for us to one see the Morrigan override Baphomet, and two to see Persephone make the coward's decision.
1: Well, here, there's two things I have to say about this. One, it seems kind of weird to me that there's this vacuum of power, and none of them are trying to grab it.
0: I think we what we're seeing is. Ball, not trying to grab it, like not like be like Machiavellian, but him trying to consolidate their power and their purpose and failing because of the nature of the gods. I think this exists to show just how fucking hard Anaki's job was.
1: But also, I think it's interesting to note that when they're meeting, the Pantheon is meeting. Pan, uh, Persephone is there. She's she doesn't have a chair. She doesn't sit at the table, and I can't tell if it's because. She chooses not to sit at the table, or she's not welcome at the table. Because even though there's... I mean, there's seats there that she could have.
0: The seats are for the dead ones, though. They have the skulls in front of them.
1: Well, they're gone.
0: But she she doesn't... Yeah, she does not have a chair. And that's brought up, too. At some point, Woden or somebody brings up, like, the idea that, like, maybe she's not part of the pantheon. Like, where they're just assuming she is, and he gets to... I think that's Woden that brings it up. Gets told off, but like it she's not supposed to be there like all the rules that had been previously established was that you know they were at their limit there shouldn't be an extra one
1: but i think she's like she continues to be the, this disruptor
0: yeah oh he says in this i'm i'm an idiot there's no implication literally ball says the fear that fear made me stumble that fear killed my dad i mean as it seems pretty clear that like as at least as far as he knows uh the darkness killed his dad. It's also, I think it's established here that he was like the first one that woke up.
1: Yeah, because when... They're... Or that was,
0: you know, given godhood.
1: Later on, I don't know if it's this issue or the next one, Minerva is marking on a calendar when her death date, and she brings up that the time that she's there without ball are going to be the hardest.
0: They don't know definitively that it's two years from when they're... Awoken, but it seems like that's the case, and which was the thing we have been talking about in a previous well. That's what ish uh, episode.
1: I don't know. Is it Ball who mentions this? Like they don't, or Cassandra that they don't know what Aniki told them was true, and
0: yeah. there's
1: no way for them to like verify it. Which kind of makes me.
0: They talk about that in the big conversation with Woden, where they're like, "You could append to unless she was lying to everything that they know."
1: But like, isn't it the classic comic book like? thing where someone goes off to the library and does research? <laughs> like, yeah. like, none of them are like, let's look into the history of, like, the Pantheon. Is there no history? Or is it just, we just believe what Hanaki tells us?
0: So the the big discussion in this issue is... Uh,
1: should they study the darkness? Should they study?
0: Should they work on trying to fight it specifically? Or should they just do whatever the fuck they want? So it's... Uh, what what are the, the votes? They, they Ball want, wants to study. Uh, prioritize the Great Darkness. Study or anarchy. Those are the options. Uh, Ball wants to prioritize the Great Darkness. Cassandra wants to study.
1: She wants to study that machine. Uh,
0: this is um so we learn in this. We don't learn, but it is spoken about specifically in this sequence that Amaterasu and Ball both knew about the Great Darkness beforehand and were told to keep it a secret that the more people that knew, the greater problem it was, and that also the sky gods had to fight it specifically. And Woden says, I'm Woden, I am a sky god. Which is more fuel for my other theory that he is like Baphomet, and he's not actually the god he says he is. Which I think later in this volume,
1: dun, dun, dun. it seems
0: more likely that that's the case when we learn about his backstory.
1: There's like a tie between them. And of course, Sackhamet wants anarchy, and...
0: Yeah, so uh, what do the votes come down to? Ball votes for prioritizing the darkness. Sacrament votes for anarchy. Morgan votes for anarchy. Woden votes for study. Uh, Minerva votes for prioritizing the great darkness. So does Amatsuratu. Baphomet goes to vote for something and is cut off by Morrigan, who says that he wants anarchy. She says, There's also a part where he makes a joke about Anana, and she gives him a death glare, and he shuts up uh dionysus votes for study and so does cassandra they go to give a vote to persephone this is when Woden speaks up and says that offers up the possibility that she's not part of the pantheon and she votes for anarchy she says we aren't here for any reason we have no idea how long this thing lasts make your own decisions make your own mistakes leaning hard into that nihilism thing she gets called out by ball who sa- she says that she's not anana And that I'm walking away before I take you down with me.
1: And then what does she do? Get on a motorcycle, blow it up, and then go to a party? Yeah, probably. Have sex with 50 people.
0: Uh, Cassandra freaks out and is yelling about Laura fucking Wilson over and over again. Which, I don't know. Is that supposed to specifically invoke the fucking Terra thing? Probably. Uh, (laughs) Bowden's like, "Uh, I'm a good guy. I tried to stop her. (laughs) Uh, And this is when she starts talking to, uh, Cassandra starts talking to Dionysus. Because she's surprised that he agreed for for study. I mean, that's the thing with him, right? Like, we've been seeing over and over again that despite the fact that he is literally the party god, he's, like, one of the more sensitive and reasonable ones of the bunch. And he's, like, the most self-sacrificing one. Like, we see that moment where his eyes go back down off of the god thing. Like, it's like, he's not partying really for himself.
1: I also think he's kind of like... Persephone makes so much trouble and Mm -hmm. gets so much attention from being problematic... That he is kind of like pushed to the background and he's kind of like just underutilized. But I think he showed that he is like he fought them, he fought with them when they fought anarchy. He believed them when they told him what was happening. He seems reasonable. I mean, he just wants coke. He's tired of partying. He like, you know, he's depleted emotionally.
0: And this is this is also when he, like, basically says that he's asexual and brings up the idea that people are constantly speculating that about Urder.
1: But don't you think it would be, like, emotionally draining to, like, spend all of your time with Persephone having hissy fits all the time? Like, wouldn't you just be, like, enough? Like, she's so mad. She's, like, she has this, like, impotent anger that she, like, projects on other people.
0: this is literally the sequel to she drives a motorcycle and blows it up and then (laughs) says that she's going to go to a gig and that she wants to get (laughs) drinks with Safma later. Uh, Also Erder goes to do something for an hour with the Norns. It's unclear what that is.
1: Well maybe they're meditating.
0: Um, The Norns get more characterization not a ton in this volume than they've gotten before. But that's the end of that issue with Laura blowing up her motorcycle.
1: It was like a very unproductive staff meeting. It's yeah. kind of like this could be an email instead of being a yeah.
0: Maybe uh, like
1: in this day and age, it would have been like a Zoom call.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the next cover is Baphomet. That's a that's a cool one. He's got a new jacket, which has one sleeve, and there's like metal like bird wing epaulet over the shoulder that doesn't have the sleeve.
1: I think it's really hitting hard that he's like controlled by the Morgan. Or he's either controlled by the Morgan, or he cedes a lot of his power to the Morgan. Well,
0: we'll find out. We'll find out pretty soon what the deal is.
1: But I mean, like, now, like, he didn't get his chance to vote the way that he wanted. And then now all the depictions that you see of him, he has... It's like, after Anaki left, um, mm -hmm. he has lost part of his, like, identity.
0: And, like... I mean, I think it was pretty clear, right? Like, he wasn't going to vote for Anarchy, right? Like, he's... Uh, we saw in the previous volume that like he's a team player. Right. Like, he probably would have voted to prioritize the Great Dark. And he's afraid of dying. Um,
1: and he's, like, the one who least wants to be a god. And I think he's... Yeah. The only reason why he's sort of in this... He's stuck being a god is because the Morgan. Well, he's, like... Yeah. Aggressive and controlling.
0: Well... She's worse than that.
1: Yeah, she's like a.
0: Yeah. Uh, so this next volume opens up. This next issue opens up with Minerva tearing the pages she doesn't need out of a calendar up to the month where she's gonna die. Right, and, but it's
1: a pantheon themed calendar that she got somewhere.
0: Yeah, and she writes Minerva's death day on it. This is when they have a conversation about like, oh, those months with you, without she's talking a ball. Mm-hmm. Those months without you are, you know, they're gonna be hard. Uh, and he tells her to get ready for bed. And then she is attacked by the darkness again.
1: Right. And this is when it's pretty clear. The first one, you're kind of like, oh, there's it three.
0: out of the sink, too. Yeah.
1: This is when you're kind of clearly, like, the darkness is targeting Minerva specifically. The first one, you weren't really clear because it could have been, like, any of the three gods. Like, it just showed up. But there's clearly some link that the darkness between Ball and Minerva there's something going on that the darkness is specifically targeting those two.
0: Yeah, and then Ball goes, he stands like out the window, and he teleports away, it looks to like to Valhalla, I guess, because that lights up in the distance for a second. And then he comes back, he doesn't, Minerva asks where he is, and he doesn't tell her, but then he goes up to the calendar and writes, The Great Darkness on Friday, and turns to her and says, let's get to work.
1: Right, and I guess this is when he full in is going to, deal with the darkness once and for all yeah but none of them ever are really like holding persephone accountable for the reason why the darkness is here now is because she in her like rage did not even wait to hear what anaki had to say and just blew her brain out which they didn't get to find anything else yeah like very immature well it's
0: like you know there's that like chart that people like to put characters on where it's like cause problems on one axis and it's like (laughs) on purpose or on accident on the other like persephone is big on the cause problems on purpose today i'm gonna cause problems on purpose is her raison (laughs) d'etre her and i and woden are both on cause problems on purpose
1: yeah but woden's problems are just like
0: he's because he's a piece of shit coward yeah yeah, we get The next issue opens up with like there's a conversation between Sackman and Persephone, where Sackman's like, "I'm a psychopath." Basically, she like doesn't she? Get, Persephone asks her like, "Like, what's the worst thing you've ever done?" And she's like, "I don't know. Why would I bother remembering that?" <laughs> uh, but
1: I think that's her base personality.
0: Yeah. We also at some point it is specifically confirmed. Somebody says it. I forget who. I think Woden that she ate her dad.
1: Yeah, well, that was in
0: the... well, yeah, like, it was like, we didn't see her eat the, her dad, but she definitely ate her dad. Yeah, Woden talks about how he had to cover it up.
1: Yeah, but he was uh, like, we, she was all bloody, and yeah. she said she was full, but we, and we couldn't find the dad, so we just yeah. put it together. We uh, need a Cassandra's detective agency to get in there.
0: <laughs> uh, Ball meets with the Prime Minister about the threat of the darkness, which is very not taking seriously.
1: I like how he's wearing, like, a business suit, <laughs> it's like... Like a red business suit.
0: Is he's, he's so cyclops at this point? Like, there's literally he has a conversation where he's like, you know, well, we got to handle this if it gets out of control. And the prime minister's like, what if you get out of control? And he's like, <laughs> looks just looks at him confused. Like, I, I won't. Like you, like you,
1: so, like you wired on the news two weeks ago, like using lightning bolts to
0: like beat up your <laughs> supposed comrade. Laura goes to do a performance ball and Cassandra meet up. They she believes that she's come up with a way to maybe detect the darkness, but it would it only works pretty close up. So they're not able to track it.
1: This is what I don't understand. Why does Cassandra go to Dionysus to He just shows up. But why does she like want to like go to this rave to learn how to dance? I don't know. No, just... they're
0: going so they're they're performing an experiment to try to figure out he, he... A uh, the limits of like how the god performances work, and about how Persephone's powers work too, because Persephone was able to project this performance and affect Cassandra, and so it's like she they're doing research. Uh, the rave is research, but oh. I think it's engineered partially by Dionysus to like get her to take a fucking break.
1: I see, yeah, because uh. it's months have passed at this point. Yeah, and then she has been obsessed with this beeping box. Yeah.
0: Persephone texts Baphomet and says she was thinking about Christmas. We get a flashback which shows that he used his powers to show her like glowing facsimiles of her parents and her sister.
1: Well, I think even when she first came back and, and she was staying with Baphomet, he was trying to rehumanize her.
0: Yeah, that was his yeah, that was his goal. And she thanks him for that. We get more of this rave. Amaterasu is building a temple. We get more of the rave. It's not going super well. There's a really... There's a fucking... There's a picture of Woden where he's literally doing the gendo akari tinted fingers. (laughs) Like he's the fucking, you know, like Evangelion.
1: That's sort of like the comedy... His whole head is
0: like a shiny glasses lens, basically.
1: Yeah. What were you gonna say? It's kind of like the comedy portion of the, like, issue. Where Cassandra is doing this awkward dance and trying to like Yeah be comfortable in like something that obviously makes her uncomfortable. It well, takes like twenty eight experiment raves to try to get any kind of results
0: Yeah, she starts to feel something they they uh but it doesn't she doesn't seem to it doesn't seem to affect her that much. They have a conversation about Dionysus Dionysus Dios, so I'll just call him Dio. Sexuality, And he basically is like, and this felt really real to me. He was like, yeah, like I clicked a couple of links from like a Tumblr clickbait article. And then I was like, oh, that's what it is. It's <laughs> like that felt really real. I think that's a lot of people's experience now.
1: But I think it's, I mean, I applaud that they're so open to talk about variations of sexuality and gender constructs in this. I mean, I feel it's it's pretty modern, but this is a pretty modern series. Yeah. But I think it's kind of, I could see how that could be helpful to someone who was young and questioning to read about these characters that have different sexual orientations, different gender manifestations. I think that would be really helpful.
0: Yeah. Uh, Also, we get a little bit of (laughs) Amaterasu revealing that she's starting a religion, and it's going to be called Shinto.
1: This kind of really makes
0: me groan. I guess there's no,
1: like checks and balances at this point. There's no one who's, like, in charge.
0: Yeah, she's, like, there. a lot of them are going off the deep end, and she is one of them that is going off the deep end. She's gonna start Shin 2, uh, I which, mean, boy, that is rough.
1: She's doing that. The other ones are, like, full-on, like, investing in, like, their hedonist behaviors, and there's lots of parties and orgies, and Sakamet is, like, doing her own thing...
0: Yeah, and then we get this sequence where we can see more... Where Persephone is texting Batman, and she says, like... Hey, I was thinking about Christmas. Thank you, I needed that. And then she texts him, again, I was thinking about Christmas, the other stuff. And then we get a sequence where i walking into, like... The how Her... Like, some reconstruction or something of her house. And she says to him, how do you do it? And he says, idea golem. His voice is in my head, and I make them live. And then he says, this is a bad idea... And then she pressures him to do it and, like, she says, once a cheat, always a cheat, which is less, like, pretty sleazy. Well, yeah. But we don't actually see the, the end point of that because it cuts back to, well, I guess, I, is this supposed to be happening now or is this supposed, no, this is a flashback to when they, when he cheated on Mor- the Morrigan with right. Him, right? There was just giving us the context for that. Um, Well I think
1: she tries To lure him out And then when he Becomes agreeable to that Then she starts to berate him for being a cheat Which is kind of like A shitty thing to do But that seems to be How Persephone does things
0: Yeah We get a two panel sequence Of Minerva drinking And saying she's not Going to fall apart And be a teenage Cautionary tale And then a two panel Sequence of like When Cassandra starts To feel the the thing At the rate Woden is like Pointing something at her It's like some I think it's a scanner Or something but then she go, goes off to a party and Dionysus shoots Woden this like weird skeptical look. I don't know what this is supposed to convey.
1: I don't know if that's like another machine that Woden makes that affects the gods and their powers. Kind of like the like wristlet and the necklace and things. Mhm. They never really address why Woden is such a highly skilled maker.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, that's not a Woden. That's not an Odin thing. Yeah. Like, which that's is true. why I think he's not who he says he is. And then there's a, there's a sequence where Baphomet and the Morgan are playing chess, and she, like, dictates his move for him. Again, like, the same thing she basically did in the the meeting. Yeah. That's. I mean, then the sort of end of this issue is Woden goes to call a prostitute, and instead of calling people to come and cosplay as Amaterasu and Loki... He asks, uh, "Do you have anyone black and athletic?" No. Now the question is: Is that Laura or Paul? <laughs> or Sackman?
1: I don't know. I mean, compared to like the, yeah. I mean, who? It could be any of them at this point. I mean, they're all. I don't know. Understand why he? I guess Woden's an asshole, and that's why he's never invited to these party slash orgies.
0: Yeah. And then, um, but but. Cassandra is, she has another, she talks about like, oh, I got to figure out what this fucking machine is. She expresses her frustration. It beeps and she tells it to shut up. And then Professor Blake shows back up.
1: Yeah, so I guess this is how she decides that she needs help and she recruits Professor Blake to help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is the part that was just the most, the best part of the whole thing. At this I was like, good. I read that awful magazine that went on forever mm-hmm. and I listened to them like, whine about being gods and about their like hedonistic rave parties and then finally get some juicy content from dr blake
0: they have this conversation where she's like you know i need you to help me like talk to the community around the pantheon which makes sense that she would recruit him because he's like the biggest like figurehead there and she's like we're trying to figure out like how the recurrence works And she talks about the idea that they're into their second year. And so they're trying to figure out, like, what's the deal with us having to die? And he's like, you know, it's not just that it's the second year, right? Like, the first year is, like, the good time. But there's this imperial model of godhood. And he talks about something called the Bloody Retreat in the 1920s. Whatever happened to the late medieval Lucifer. And the even wilder theories about 455. And then intercut with this are panels of the other gods we get like fucking ball and minerva as (laughs) that dark knight (laughs) (laughs) like they're like it's literally it's the purple lightning with the silhouette it's exactly like the dark knight returns like minerva is like a little girl with goggles like uh they're wreathed in shadow we see is this supposed to be morgan and the baphomet like completely in darkness with just their eyes visible
1: that's what i thought and then like See Woden giving a soda to Dionysus.
0: He's like completely like. He's like in the Dr. Manhattan pose and his like eyes are completely red. And he. he Professor Blake talks like empires are. He's When he means imperial, he's saying empires are born, empires reach their peak, empires contract, empires die. Death is never pretty. But there are very few stories of gods bathing in blood in their first year. And we see like Amaterasu wreathed in light on top of a building and Sakmet and Persephone making out. And then he's like, do. You, it's like the gods essentially seem like they go bad before they die and is it because they're gonna die is it because they were always bad or do they go insane and he says any concerns about your peers sanity
1: and she was like duh
0: and she's like distracted and she's like yeah you know i'm like i'm always worried about their sanity and he goes off to do his work and the norns stop him and they're like do we die and he's like yeah i don't know <laughs> nobody knows
1: but I think it's like, I was like, whew, finally they're going to find someone who's going to be able to find some answers instead of just being hmm. like... I like that they
0: brought him back. I like his him his character. Like, I really dug that moment where he meets up with Laura again and he apologizes for being a gatekeeping prick <laughs> at the conference. Like, you know, it's also always nice to have another, like, adult there. We get a cover with Amatsuratsu. And then the next issue opens with him going to his house and Cassandra and the Norns are already there. He's pretty upset about her breaking into his house. But she's like, I just didn't want to wait outside. Uh, We find out that his wife... He has a son, which she did not... Nobody knew, apparently. She... He has a... His son's room has, like, fucking anime and video game posters and, like, you know, cheesecake pinups all over it, which is, like... You know, important. He's got like a Ghost in the Shell poster too. What were you saying? It,
1: at first, David makes it seem like his son is away at boarding school. He,
0: I mean, that's what and he then says. It turns as far out, as he that it's knows. like a
1: special boarding school for people with problems. And yeah. then it turns out that his son is like
0: his son told him to leave him alone. Yeah. He hasn't talked to his son in years, but he said that he's proud of him.
1: He also says that his son likes to build things. So, here is my question: Is David Blake's son Woden?
0: That's confirmed, literally, like, in the next couple pages.
1: Yeah, but I'm like, I'm kind of like, does he know?
0: I don't think he, I don't know know if he knows that his son is Woden. But I think
1: it also turns out that David Blake may have had meetings with Anaki. Because he knows stuff about the Pantheon.
0: I'm wondering if he was there when his son was, when Woden became Woden. But that's the thing I was saying, my theory about him not being Woden, I think it's supported by that his dad's literally like a mythology expert and he's an expert on the recurrence so he would know which gods would be the most believable one to pick to cover for what you actually got
1: that's what i'm saying does david blake know what god his son is supposed to be and or does he know that his son is woden
0: i the think Kastor he of woden? knows that he's woden and i think he was trying not to say that to cassandra because he says the thing about being proud of him and it's like, it seems like he knows what his son is doing, which he wouldn't if he was just at school isolated from him.
1: Is it safe to assume that Woden is a god that's affiliated with the Greek, with the Norse mythology? I don't know, probably. Because is he Loki?
0: I mean, that's the most...
1: That's what they make you think. Like, yeah, but Loki's to... not a builder either. But he like, likes to build things, so yeah. a Norse god who is handy with tools.
0: I don't know, i I'd, I'd have to, to, I'd have to look. I don't. Nobody comes to mind immediately. I mean, like you said, but like the obvious one is that he's Loki. I don't think he's Loki. Also, Karen Gillen wrote like forty issues of a comic about Loki. I don't think he. I don't think he would go away and then write more comics about Loki. But it's like we saw, right? Like Baphomet got a god he didn't want and then picked his own, and it was obvious because.
1: Because he didn't know, he's
0: not an expert. And so it's like, Woden would pick a more reasonable one because he would know about the Pantheon and stuff.
1: But also, it's the same kind of confusion about Ball.
0: Yeah, but I think Ball is... I think Ball is literally just the other Ball.
1: Right, because at the beginning you're like, which Ball is he? Yeah. And it's pretty clear now which one he is.
0: Well, yeah. So then Cassandra goes to talk to Woden at Amaterazi's temple and he has a new helmet... With a special telescoping straw that lets him do cocaine through it. (laughs) (laughs) And she calls him disgusting and then is like, hey, you're John Blake, right? Yeah. And he is like, hey, like, I saw an article about you before you transitioned and I didn't look at it. And she's like, that's not the same thing. (laughs) But it's like, that's like the perfect, like, shitty, too clever for your own good prick move to pull in that situation.
1: But also this is the part where he reveals to Cassandra that he covered up Sakmet murdering her own father. Yeah. and At Anaki's request.
0: He calls it an eating disorder. Yeah, and we get our first like inkling of Amaterasu's cult temple thing. They have, Cassandra and Amaterasu have another fight about cultural appropriation, except this time Amaterasu's gone way off the deep end about it. And she's like, I'm a better steward. For this religion and the people who actually have claim to it. And, like, I am Shintel, Like, she's completely gone overboard on this. And it's, like, clear that, like, yeah, I, it seems like that Imperial model is true. I, I have a theory about this. Not, like, a, like a meta theory. Not, like, a, a actual plot theory. We know that Kieran Gillen is, um... Because I was, like, I was reading this and I was like, it's a little fucked up that it seems like most... Of the gods that we see, like going off the deep end in this volume, are women, and I was like, I think it's going to happen to all of them in some way, but it won't necessarily turn all of them into villains. But there, because there's, um, we know that Kieran Gillen is a big tabletop role playing game guy, and we know that he references the the World of Darkness's White Wolf, uh, White Wolf's World of Darkness games specifically in the backstory issue for Baphomet and the Morgan. Mm -hmm. And in addition to those gothy sort of monster games, the other big white wolf game is this one called Exalted, where you play as, like, demigods. Like, imagine, like, Gilgamesh, Hercules, Goku, Paul Bunyan, like, level of power and influence. And a big thing, the way that that game balances out your characters being really powerful is they all suffer from something called the Great Curse or something like that. Where it's, like, they all have, like, a, a mythical style, like, fatal flaw. Where something about their personality, some element of what makes them good, will over time sort of curdle into this thing that makes them bad or makes them or people around them suffer. So like bravery becomes like bloodlust, you know, a tactician becomes a manipulator. And I think that's what we're seeing with this Imperial thing is like all of their personalities and flaws are intensifying. And for some people, like Amaterasu and the Morrigan, it's going to make them into full-on villains. For some people, like, Ball, it's just going to make them extremely self-righteous. So that's my take on that.
1: That's an interesting take.
0: But yeah, we get some of that. Baphomet shows up. And then he sees Persephone and tries to leave. And Sheila like, calls him out for ghosting her. And he's like, look, I told Morrigan. And she reads my phone. And she doesn't want me to talk to you. And all this stuff. And then she goes to grab him. And his sunglasses fall off. And he has a big black eye and three scratches under the other eye.
1: Yeah, so we get the, I mean, this is when we realize that Baphomet is now in an abusive relationship. But I think the idea is
0: she's always been abusive. Like, her going behind his back think, and engineering his godhood was an act of abuse.
1: I don't know, well, I was going to say, I don't know if she was abusive, but she was definitely
0: controlling. I think signing someone up for something that's going to kill them in two years is definitely an act of abuse. When they don't have any say in it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. She's definitely, like, controlling him, and he's definitely afraid of her, and he's in a... But why did he show up at this
0: rave? He's friends with Dionysus. He just didn't know Persephone was going to be there. Okay. Oh, and fucking... Uh, oh, well, before that, though, in the when Amaterasu and Cassandra are having another fight about her cultural appropriation... She's she threatens to drop her in Japan or maybe into the sun and then says, like, smiling, says, I'm, I'm, I could turn you to ash if I wanted to. And then she goes off and the whole Baphomet thing happens. And Baphomet, Dionysus goes off to talk to him and leaves Persephone there.
1: And it's pretty clear that Amaratsu, Persephone, and Sakamet are having a relationship.
0: Well, Persephone and Sakamet are. And then Persephone goes to leave because she feels shitty because of what's going on with baphomet and then sacrament's like well you know i want to go upstairs and fuck who's who's into it and everyone raises their hand including Amaterasu. then the next volume the next issue starts and they're like it's in the aftermath of all of this Amaterasu can't go down on sacrament because she's straight like unless she keeps posturing about it she's i think she's a straight girl
1: but so, does Sackmet control people to make them want to have sex with her? No, no, I think
0: she just wants to be cool. And she just wants to be and cool. She wants to impress her followers at her cult in this fucking weird temple she's built. And then find out that Sackmet still doesn't know about Anahi getting killed because she was unconscious while that happened. And Amaterasu lets it slip and Sackmet freaks out, literally sees Red and slaughters everybody else in this room.
1: Does she kill Amaterasu?
0: No, Amaterasu pieces out. We see at the top of the page her leaving in a streak of light, like when Minerva's parents died. She doesn't get killed, but she definitely leaves and lets Sakmet kill all those other people.
1: Which ends in like literally, she's covered in blood.
0: Yeah, she does not seem to care.
1: Well, no, because she's that's her base personality.
0: But yeah, so it's like they're going imperial, right? Like Amaterasu has become a vindictive cult leading coward she's just as much of a coward if not more so than Wood and
1: well i think also it shows that she is more phony than she i mean she does have god powers mm. and she's reliable in a fight but she definitely is like instagram famous and only about the persona of her self and her religion that she's started
0: yeah sacrament's so a mass murderer morgan is an abuser these are the first inklings we see of the gods going bad I mean, Persephone's been bad from the beginning, kinda yeah. uh, And then we get the, This, like, flashback Six months earlier Of Anaki crying as she writes a letter She The letter Is her apologizing Essentially for fucking up this century And imploring someone Not to let The darkness win Don't uh, try to save me unless you can do it In a safe manner If that price is required, I will pay it I am dead now. I know you will succeed. The light must not be lost. Not after so many years of sacrifice. I love you. I'll miss you. And then she puts it in like a little holder that has a similar aesthetic to the beeping thing. And then it disappears in like purple light. And that is the end of this volume.
1: Who is the letter for?
0: I do not know. I don't know if it's for a character we've even met yet. I don't know if it's supposed to be in that beeping thing or not. I think it is. Does Doesn't beep?
1: Before it Disappears no, It just disappears
0: So it might not be In the beeping thing I have no idea Who it's for She's crying When she writes it I think like that's It's like
1: the cliffhanger. There's always a Really dramatic cliffhanger at the End of the Volume
0: Yeah That's the end Of the volume We get some uh, Variant covers We get a little Back matter Which reveals The process That I talked About earlier With how they Wrote the uh, The magazine Issue
1: yeah I think it's interesting. i had I was originally gonna ask questions about why they made the women act the way that they did, but I think you explained it very succinctly when you said that I still don't
0: think it's super cool that so much of the focus on how the gods are going bad is at least initially on the women, but hopefully it won't just be that.
1: also kind of like creeped me out a little bit that they're like the manifestation of them going bad is that they're like sexually exploitive.
0: I don't know if that's... Nec- well, I think that's the case from the Moore again. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I guess, like, what Amaterasu is doing is, like, kind of creepy. Yeah. But, like, I, the sex thing is not what's wrong with Sackman. It's the murder part. <laughs> she just happened to do it right after having sex.
1: <laughs> well, if you're going to take on a cat god, you're going to have to expect that you might get murdered after an orgy. Yeah. And then you might have fun at the orgy... But there's also a chance that you're going to be eaten up alive. Literally eaten up alive.
0: Yeah. This was like, like it's a big dramatic thing at the end, right? And like the stakes are all ratcheted up and the board is set. But this is the least that, you know, I've said before, like, well, this volume ends and it feels like this is like the last, the like beginning of the last act. This one feels the least like an ending is about to happen out of any volume we've had. Like it really does feel like, okay, now I understand there is more to go before we reach the end of this.
1: Well, that's it. I mean, you, who who did she write the letter for? Yeah. How well, does the machine work? Who is Woden? What's David Blake's role in all of this?
0: I yeah, mean, so that's our, that's our big questions is like, well, the thing with the who is Woden is the book hasn't really n- s- directly raised that question. But it's a, it's one we've arrived at. I mean, I think Anaki does kind of hint at it at one point when she talks about like knowing stuff about Woden that he doesn't want people to know. But it's possible that what she was talking about was just that he's... David Blake's son. That he's... She's like, she could have just been talking about how that she knows his real name. He also brings up again the... Um, we didn't talk about it, but in his interview, he explains that he tried to make a machine that would let him perform like the other gods. And it didn't work, and it fucked up his face, and that's why he wears the helmet. And he directly compares himself to Doctor Doom. And the is like, you're not Doctor Doom, shut up.
1: But now... Does it explain a lot more about yeah. Woden if you think that he's a teenage boy as opposed to a grown man who's just a pervert
0: yeah yeah he yeah he's like a, yeah it's like what i've talked about before he's like a shitty like you know anime dork 4chan gamer guy and now he has all the power in the world but he has all the power of the world in a way that specifically and constantly reminds him that he doesn't actually have all the power in the world which makes him even more bitter I think he's a really well constructed character.
1: Yeah, I think, but I mean, it's kind of also leaning like maybe this. It's hard to tell. Like, Woden is in North Norse mythology, and Minerva is like
0: Greek, uh, Greek mythology, right?
1: and then Baal is
0: Sumerian? Sumerian. So is Nurgle, right? I think they're both Sumerian, uh, and then.
1: Well, that was another thing about the Morgan. Like, when he came out, he was like, I'm Nurgle. She was like, no, you're not.
0: Well, no, he came out, and she... she and he was like, you're Nurgle. And he was like, fuck no. <laughs> that was... Because he's, you know, he's a nerd. He knows who Nurgle is, and he doesn't want to be him. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, I mean, at first I was like, this is kind of, like, dragging on a little bit, but then it didn't really get good at the end. Which I think is how a lot of the issues end with like this major cliffhanger
0: Uh, do you think you would have felt that way if we weren't doing like a month between each issue because the last volume was like super actiony and then if you had transitioned more directly into this one that has like a slower pace maybe it would have felt more natural i don't
1: know because the other ones were more visual more action there's
0: a lot of talking. there's a lot
1: of dialogue in this and it kind of like flips time back and forth yeah like the time that like you don't. You realize between the time the first time the darkness shows up, and months have gone by. Yeah. And then even longer amount of time has gone by while they're having the rave experiment, and mm. Amoratsu is creating her Shinto <laughs> religion. So it's kind of like for having like this time sensitive project where they have to figure out if they're going to die in months. They're dicking around months at the time having like parties and doing weird rando unproductive stuff yeah like it takes three months for cassandra who's supposed to be very smart and rational to decide that she needs more help
0: well i mean it's hard to ask for help (laughs) sometimes sometimes you have to smash your head against the wall over and over again trying to figure out what a beeping machine does before you ask somebody for help
1: She's not mechanically inclined. She doesn't have a scientific background. Yeah, everybody's
0: expecting her to be the smartest one. She's Urder. She's like the seer. She can see everything. I think it works.
1: I would be like, look, if you're that smart, your first thing is, like, let's get an expert in here.
0: Yeah, well, she does eventually. Do you think we're going to, speaking about the expert, do you think we're going to learn uh, what the bloody retreat is and what happened to the medieval Lucifer and what happened in four? 55. I think we
1: will, because... Not because I read ahead, but because I went to the Image Comics website to look at the actual covers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because the covers that they show in the volume don't have the cover text.
0: Yeah, they they're just the image. Just
1: the image. So I did go and look at that and then they have a lot of one-offs coming up. There's oh. a Christmas episode issue. Yeah, I think
0: volume and there's 7 his, is all just specials.
1: Right. And there's like a couple historical
0: Oh, okay, cool. Issues. Well, we see I assume we'll at least learn what the Bloody Retreat is cuz we see the end of the 1920s Pantheon. In the very beginning, right. right?
1: And then we also know that in previous ones, the I guess the one that was mentioned
0: mm-hmm. from
1: the 1860s, the same thing happened. Four of the gods were killed. And then 1921 that we see the final ending of, there's four skulls on the table. Yeah. So is there a pattern that she follows where she kills four of the gods to keep the darkness
0: away? hmm Also, somebody references... Kronos. Mm. And Kronos is the mythological counterpoint. Kronos, I think, is different from Kronos. I can't remember which one's which. But it's the, the time one is the mythological counterpoint to Anarchy. Like, they're... She's connected with... They're, they're, I think sometimes they're literally, like, husband and wife or whatever, but they're at least the two, like, primogenitoy, like, the primordial gods. So, like, that... And then she's writing a letter to somebody. Maybe she's writing a letter to Kronos?
1: I don't know, but I think it's pretty clear that these gods have to get their shit together. I think we're definitely going to at least get some guidance about the historical components of previous pantheons.
0: That's what I was going to say. In the Amaterasu interview, she's asked about remembering her human life and stuff like that. And she reveals that they can kind of, sort of remember their previous instances as gods, but it's like... Fuzzy and foggy.
1: But I think Minerva also hints that.
0: Yeah. So I don't think they have perfect memory of what happened in previous recurrences that they appeared in. But, but I also
1: think that there's different gods who show up for different Yeah, I definitely think it
0: cycles around. I don't think it's always the same ones in the same combination. Obviously some of them recur. We know that there was at least a medieval Lucifer. And almost medieval try
1: to- Lucifer is something I want to say.
0: Oh, 100%. And then the other thing I was... Oh, um. also Amaterasu thinks that the thing that Woden gave... Or the ring that Woden was using to surveil her was from the previous Amaterasu. Or a previous Amaterasu. Anyway. So yeah, so that's the end of this volume. I think we're done. Do we have anything else to say about it? I don't think
1: so. I'm just curious to see what's going to happen in the next one. This is Imperial Phase Part 2. I
0: think some wild shit's going to pop off. Because like I was saying, I, I think the volume after that... It's, like, all specials. So it's, like, essentially going to be, like, a um, fucking Fables and Recollections volume. So I think some wild shit's going to pop off, at least at the end of the next volume, uh, which I'm excited for. But before we do that, we got to do a novella.
1: I think we're back to school, right?
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. The world is weird. The original plan was this was going to be, like, a back-to-school special. But maybe it'll just give you a taste of what it's like to be back to school while you're stuck at home some more i have no idea what's going on with kids uh in the the with this pandemic happening but either way we are going to read beneath the wheel by herman hess good i'm excited it's one of my favorite books i've read it a couple times but i haven't read it in a long time uh so it'll be interesting i think to talk about it uh so you know tie your books up with a big leather belt or whatever they used to do in oldie times and get ready to talk about that (laughs) It's uh, gonna be
1: so many feelings.
0: Lots of feelings. The book is very, very important to me. So uh spoiler alert, stay tuned.
1: Bye everyone. Uh-oh.